more education, more research on this topic specific to athletic training. There is so much peer-reviewed literature out there on inequities in women in healthcare, women physicians. We don't have any of that in athletic training. Let's just take the salary survey. Yes, so inequity is greater than it was in the last Welcome to the NATA Cast, the official podcast of the National Athletic Trainers Association. The NATA Cast is your audio source for exclusive insight from NATA, our leadership, and athletic training thought leaders. This show will feature in-depth conversations about healthcare topics that interest you, the athletic trainer. Today's discussion is part of a special series titled Compensation Conversation, brought to you by the NATA Compensation Task Force. Throughout this series, we will discuss the pressing issues related to compensation, stability, and professional growth of the athletic trainer. Good day and welcome. Thank you all for joining us for the Compensation Conversation podcast. I'm Murphy Grant. Uh, I'm one of your hosts here and the co-chair of the NATA's Compensation Task Force. We have an amazing podcast uh, that we're going to put on today and very excited for all of our listeners to be able to listen to uh, this information that's going to be shared. Joining us today is Rebecca Lopez, co-chair of the DEIA Task Force, and Marsh Album, who's a member of our gender equity subgroup for the Compensation Task Force. Welcome, both of you all. Uh, Marsh, it's so good to see you as always. And Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Uh, Would you guys please introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm Rebecca Lopez. I'm a faculty member here at the University of South Florida. I'm a professor. I'm also the NATA, as you mentioned, NATA's co-chair for the DEIA task force. Uh, previously to that service role, I was the chair of the NATA's LGBTQ advisory committee. So it's great to be here. Awesome. And thanks. Um, great to be back on another podcast, Murphy. And great to have Rebecca here as our special, special guest. As you all know, past NATA president, past foundation president, 50-year NATA member, but most passionate about my role as a member of the gender equity subgroup of the NATA Compensation Task Force. And that's why we're here today. Yeah, absolutely. This this is going to be amazing. You know, this is our second of a series of podcasts on this subject, which applies to each of the, the practice settings that we've been covering through the Compensation Task Force. But this particular podcast here are going to, will focus on addressing the gender inequity in the workplace, understanding and utilizing the DEI resources that are out there. So as we start talking about this, you know, Rebecca, can you help us understand the evolution and the formalization of DEI resources that are in workplaces? I mean, when we are talking about the settings, you know, which I think are so valuable to know. And then in the NATA and the AT profession, you know, what what are the resources that are available? Again, I'm asking you a lot right now. So hopefully you can remember all these questions, you know, you know, what is your specific role in DEI at your institution? How was that created? And any credentials that you may have, you know, because some people are going to wonder, you know, why are you or the person that can speak on this? But I want to right up front, you know, as we get started, I want them to know why you have that ability and you have the the roles that you've had to be able to speak on this. So the evolution, you know, there's there's been a lot of DEI across the years uh, at the workplace, but just more recently, I feel like it's been very much more present. A lot more resources are available to employees now. 
and all that. So it, it has definitely evolved as, you know, the members have seen the salary survey and, and some of the other resources that have come through. Um, EDAC has been around for a long time. The LGBTQ Advisory Committee uh, started in 2017. So as the years have gone by, we, a lot more resources related to DEIA within the profession, within NAPA, and also in the workplace. Uh, my specific role, um, as of a couple years ago, our FIT training program is housed in the School of Physical Therapy Rehabilitation Sciences, and I'm currently the school's assistant director in charge of diversity, equity, inclusion for the school. So that encompasses um, the FIT training and the physical therapy programs. You know, that that role was created because the school director saw the need for it. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we were in line with the mission vision of the school, of the university's strategic plan, our accreditation standards regarding DEIA. So, so basically, my role is there to support faculty, staff, and students with anything related to DEI within the school and, and in line with, like I mentioned, the strategic plan of the, the university, our accreditation standards, that we now have some really great DEI standards as well. So kind of in line with that. As far as my credentials, um, I took a, a DEI course that the university had here through the College of Business. Um, so I have a certificate on DEIA in the workplace, um, excuse me, DEI in the workplace here at the University of South Florida. So those are my credentials. Aside from that, being part of the LGBTQ community, Latina, and, you know, this will be almost, almost 25 years in June since I'm a certified athletic trainer. So I've worked in a lot of different settings and, and I have that behind my, <laughs> to support what I, what I do and what I say as well. Right. So what you're telling everyone is, you know, what you're talking about, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know everything, <laughs> but I know something. We know everything truly, but yes, uh, you, you you are. And again, it's amazing that you're here. So thank you for the time and being able to share this information with us. You know, how does someone identify if if they are needing the DEI resources in their workplace or where those resources are? And if not specifically those resources in DEI, is there something in HR? that an individual can reach out to or look up? And then the last piece to this, you know, as, as we're having this conversation is, how can these resources help with the compensation piece as well? Yeah. And, and you know, the, the resources and where to find them is, is really going to vary by setting. Um, in a, a college, public university, like where I am right now, we have an office of diversity, equity, inclusion. There's diversity officers. There's also a whole other HR office um, as well that could help with some of those resources, especially when it comes to pay compensation and things of that nature. But it's going to be very varied. Um, I worked in secondary school for a long time. I, we didn't have a DEI office. I think there was there was somebody in charge of payroll, but there wasn't like a you know quote unquote HR office and things like that. So it's going to vary. And I would also think that depending on how an athletic trainer is hired. So if you're an outreach athletic trainer hired by a clinic working at a secondary school, are we talking your employer and their HR office? Are we talking about DEI resources at the school and all that? So I think where the where to find the resources are gonna are gonna it's gonna vary depending on setting. And I think these resources could help with compensation in a, in a number of ways. From an HR perspective, those people know what everybody's making. Sometimes we don't talk about it amongst one another, but the HR office knows. So if there's any discrepancy in your pay um, or there's something that you know, doesn't seem right, reaching out to that HR person, the person in charge of the payroll, and even your direct supervisor might be a, a viable option, just depending on the resources that are available to you. So I have a question, Rebecca. Sorry to interrupt, Murphy. But um, so the secondary school setting, as you described, with the athletic trainer employed by a large hospital or large institution, 
Is it usually that institution then that has the either DEI is or like you're saying, it just depends. Because if I'm an employee of St. Francis Hospital, wherever, then I would think that my employer would govern those kinds of things about compensation or equity issues that I might want to bring forward. Yes, I would think that whoever hires you, so the hospital in your example, would be the person in charge of the compensation piece and all that stuff. But I will say also that if there's an employee handbook, employee manual on like DEI stuff and how you're supposed to act or anything like that, you might have to follow the rule book for your employer, but you might also have to follow the rule book for your clinical setting. So I think compensation wise, whoever's writing the check, as they say, <laughs> is, is who to go to about that. Right. And, you know, and it's it's interesting that you mentioned that, you know, the HR and, and understanding what everyone pays and Marge, you just brought up the, the term inequities with, with all of this. It, it just reminds me of our last podcast that we had regarding this when we were specifically uh, discussing and talking about the inequities between men and women in this workplace setting. Is this magnified for underrepresented groups or the marginalized people? When it comes to the inequity, and then since we're talking about pay, how does this relate back to the compensation in in each of these settings? Yeah, I would definitely think that there's inequities regarding gender, not just in pay, but also promotions, leadership positions, supervisory positions. Um, Even though there's definitely over the years been an increase in women in the workplace, there hasn't been as a steady or similar increase in terms of leadership positions and and, and all that. And we, I know we've seen that in athletics, you know, in professional sports and, and certain settings where there's definitely an inequity there. As far as compensation, and yes, to your point, underrepresented groups, historically, not just in athletic training, just historically in our country, do get paid less. Um, if you look at some reports um, showing that women get, I think, 82 cents for every dollar that a white man gets. And so this is actually enhanced or enhanced in a negative way for women of color, Black African American women. I, I Last report I saw get 63 cents for every dollar that a white man gets um, and Latina women get even less. I think it's like 58 cents for every dollar. So wow. yeah, it's actually really staggering to see. So women get paid less and women of ethnic minorities uh, get paid even less than that, Spe- specifically Black African American and Latina women. The last report that I saw showed that Asian women get paid more than some of the other ethnic minorities. So there's definitely a discrepancy there, not just within the gender, but also with uh, minoritized groups or ethnic minorities. Wow. That's that is so wild to hear it. You know, I think we know it, but once you actually hear the numbers or even see the numbers, it's probably even more staggering when it's on paper. You know, what it, what are the keys to identifying something like this? And how do you validate these specific groups, you know, when it comes to the inequity within their workplace. I mean, I'm sure that there's a lot of individuals that are probably having a wow factor like I am, but, you know, what are they to do and how how do they even identify and know that this is going on? Yeah, I think um, it's it's really interesting how people find out, right? Because like, I think I mentioned earlier, I think a lot of us are taught, like, you don't find out like, hey, just so you know, you're getting a bonus, don't tell anybody, or just so you know, you're getting a raise, but you can't tell anybody. And, and we're basically taught not to talk about it. Um, and I think this is enhanced with women. I believe women are told that more so than men are. Uh, men seem to be more upfront about it, um, in my experiences anyways. And so I think a lot of it has to do with advocacy. And it's not just the employer that's not getting paid enough. 
but also the people that are making those decisions, the people in the leadership supervisory roles, they have to advocate. I'll give you an example. I know of a collegiate setting where an athletic trainer clinician was being hired and advocated for a higher pay. And that supervisor said, I will do that, but I need to make sure it was more than what his other staff members were making. So instead of just hiring that new person at a higher level, he made sure that he could get extra compensation and increase the salary for his current employees. And I think that's one of the ways if you're like, I think you're worth this amount, but now that I'm looking at my entire staff salary and all that, it has to be equitable. So employers, supervisors have to be willing to make things equitable and fight for their employees and make sure that it's right. So I think that's one of the keys to do it. And I think also advocating for yourself, which a lot of people are not taught to do when you're doing the whole negotiation for a job. We talk about that with our students all the time. Like, don't just take what they give you. And sometimes they're like, oh, I felt bad. I didn't, you know, so they're not really advocating for themselves when it comes to negotiation. Yeah. And we've kind of discussed and talked a lot about negotiations early on in a couple of previous podcasts when it came to the recruitment phase of compensation and getting a job. But you also brought up the supervisor term, you know, is is that the individual that you should address this situation with your supervisor? Or do you bypass that supervisor sometime and go to the HR director? What is the what is the direction to go to to be professional about this and and be an adult, you know, if you want to utilize that term as well? Yeah, I think um if you're gonna be professional about it, like you mentioned, I think the appropriate thing is to go to your supervisor and have a conversation. Not a confrontation, but just a conversation like, hey, you know. I just found this out. You know, it happens sometimes in the academia when you're on a search committee for another person and the person asks, what's the pay range? And you're just like, that's interesting that that's their pay range. Having a conversation with your supervisor, I think, is the appropriate first step and, and just having a very candid conversation about that, making sure you have things to back up why you think whatever it is, you should be getting paid more or the same or equitably. And then and see, wait for a response, right? Have some kind of see where that's going to get you. If you're not getting the response that you want or the appropriate response, then I think maybe you have to go above, like you mentioned, Murphy, like talking to a supervisor, their supervisor or somebody else. But it could be a really tricky situation to do that because it doesn't always end well. Right, for sure. And I was thinking about just some of the situations I'd been in and had to be the person that the supervisor that staff people came to. How do you protect yourself, though? You know, if you you come with all these reasons and you have the documentation and you have the numbers, those numbers that you just shared, how do you protect yourself from the business, you know, St. Francis, so-and-so university when it comes to addressing these situations? That's a tough question to answer. But I, I think one of the things, too, that I will say is to be patient. And you also have to understand what kind of relationship you have with your supervisor. So um, I'll try to be very careful with how I say this, but I, I know of a situation where an employee asked for a raise and the supervisor was like, we're looking into it. I understand you. I hear you. Let's look into this. And then that employee went above and wasn't patient. And like their supervisor had their back and was working on it and was looking for answers and looking and so that was a situation where I think that employee didn't really protect themselves because they now upset the supervisor that was on their side and was trying to help. So I think there's different ways to navigate that. I'm a big proponent that if you're somewhere that you're not being valued, then it's time to look elsewhere. I'm very big on that. I know that's very difficult sometimes and a tall order, 
for some people and maybe they might not be able to go somewhere else. Right. But I think in terms of protecting yourself is is have positive relationships, good working relationships with people, have you know, adult conversations that are respectful of one another, even if you disagree, and then advocate for yourself. And if it's not working, then you might have to find a different route. And and I think too, uh, Murphy, as we talked before, you know, having a group of allies, gaining allies in your setting. So you don't feel like you're the only person out there on that limb and include men in those allies and, and have those discussions with that a group of people who you trust and can advocate for you as these conversations go on. All right. I, I hope our listener are catching these nuggets because this is some really good information for them that will potentially build them up to have that confidence to be able to go and have those conversations. But you did say something when it came to this individual went above the head of their supervisor because they were impatient. But what I want to know is, and maybe our, our listeners need to hear this as well, is what are the potential fallouts from doing that? I mean, if we're going to give them some information, we better give them all the information. You know, if we're going to be professional about this and have those adult conversations, not protecting yourself and not and being impatient, I should probably say, to it backfire on you. You know, so what what do you think are some potential fallouts from a situation that you we just discussed? Not good. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Marge, I'm sure you have you lose lot, your job, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think you lose your job. Um, you lose. I think people lose respect. I've worked with really some really amazing people, and we have each other's back. And like, if they're saying, "Hey, I'm going to look into this for you," they do. And if they don't, I remind them. You know, gentle reminders. You have to have those positive relationships first and foremost. And you know, I've worked mm-hmm. whether a secondary school or at the collegiate level, working well with the athletic director and knowing that they have my back. And you have to have those relationships first and foremost. And then you could have those candid conversations. So if you, I, in my experience, and that's just my experience, if you have those positive relationships, you could have a conversation where you disagree and it's still all good. You still have that positive relationship. And then you could choose at that point, do I want to stay here at this pay? I've been in situations where they're like, just so you know, this is going to be, the, this is the ceiling for you here. We support you and I'll write a letter of recommendation for you to go somewhere else. And if you have those relationships, it really helps to have those conversations. But I'm really curious to see what Marge has to say because. <laughs> no. You know, I, I would say document everything, right? As athletic trainers, we are taught documentation. And this is so important in every conversation that you have, every, every initiative, every written email or casual conversation, even in the hallway about any of these things. And so you have not only your own reference to go back, but if there's retaliation, and if somebody is really after you now because you did speak up, then you have all of that to fall back on. And, and just like Rebecca said, then it's your choice at the end of the day whether you want to stay there in that environment and under those circumstances. But you're protecting yourself and making sure that it is your choice and not somebody else's. And that's documentation. Yeah, for sure. And I, I loved what the, kind of the, the direction was the relationship building. And I think that is really, really important for all of our listeners to be able to know. And and we've discussed that in in some previous podcasts on how building the relationships is key. And I'm going to go all the way back. You know, Rebecca, when we asked you to talk about where you've been and and all the things that you've done, compensation isn't always about pay as well. We've talked about how compensation could be growth in other positions 
time off, you know, the family time. We've looked at compensation many, many different ways and tried to identify all the pieces of compensation. So being able to share those things, even when we talk about the bad things as a potential fallout, knowing that if you have a really good relationship with your supervisor and you have those conversations, a lot of things could be handled a little bit more positively, I should say, if you have that professional relationship. Again, you guys, they don't you don't have to socialize outside of work, but as long as you have a good working professional relationship, then then all should be well. Now I'm gonna totally flip things here from a question standpoint for you and, and conversation wise, but you know, as the chair of this task force. It's a lot of responsibility. You know, you've done a, a, a ton throughout your career and you continue to do very, very positive things. But on this particular topic, what resources are available for individuals like myself or Marge or, you know, any of the other members of the compensation task force or resources for groups of individuals that are looking for some help or, or, or some information? Yeah, you know, that's a the great question. As far as the NATA's DEIA task force, we're not there yet. We're very new. So we've gotten a lot of initiatives. And what we've been working on is looking at NATA's six commitments to DEIA and looking to how we could bring those commitments to life, how we could instill them into the NATA as an organization. But with that, we've also been talking to other people about looking at how different organizations and employer groups, whatever it is, can incorporate those six commitments of DEIA into their actual work setting. So we don't have like, here's a handout, here's an article, like we're not there yet as as far as a task force. But what I think is really helpful is looking at those commitments to diversity, equity, inclusion, and access, like the transparency and accountability for diversity, equity, inclusion in, in the workplace, like getting that information, getting the data analytics and looking at, you know, some things like the salary survey, I think are really helpful where members can take that information and go back to their employer. I think we need more of that. But I also think that people individually like yourself could look at looking at the data at your workplace, looking at those commitments to DEIA and seeing how is your organization, your group, your employer, whatever it is, how are you doing in terms of equity? And it could be applied to everything, right? We think about DEIA, we talk about diversity inclusion, having diverse groups of uh, staff and employees and all that stuff, but it really relates to everything, including compensation. And are you being equitable in your pay as an employer, as a supervisor, looking at what across the board, especially if we're speaking of compensation, like do an audit, a self-audit, right? And if you're in a supervisory role and you dictate what people get paid, do a self-audit and look at what everybody's, their years of experience, how much they get paid, is it equitable? And then look at, you know, race, ethnicity, gender, all the different demographics and are there differences in there that need to be right-sized? I don't know if that answered your question, Murphy, but I don't have any, I don't yeah, have any hard I, I, you no. know, resources, but the resources out there, you just have to apply them to your setting. Right. You know, and again, you threw out the nuggets, you know, you, you gave our listeners things, some action items to be able to do on their own. You know, you are representing and chairing a group of individuals who are trying to, to find these action items and solutions for everyone. But she just gave everyone and all of our listeners like four or five nuggets that some things that they can be proactive on their own. And if they have that relationship built, like we just spoke about, being able to have these conversations and, and look into those items should be relatively easy. And Rebecca, has the group ever really yet addressed the gender equity issue? 
I know you're new and you've got a huge, uh, lots of everything on your plate and, and a task force. Hopefully this one will go on and on and yeah, on. So that we've talked about it, but very briefly, we put out a lot of initiatives um, early on to look at the policy procedures of the NATA, you know, th- different things going on in the association, a lot of DEI training, education, things of that nature. And now we're kind of looking at what what's next for the task force. So we've been talking about accessibility. Um, I know the NATA did an accessibility audit on themselves to make sure that they have resources. And then gender and other groups as well are things that we're kind of looking at now more specifically. But yeah, that's that's what's next. Yeah, I, I, I love hearing that, that, that you guys have these next step items already in the cooker and, and trying to make things happen, which is awesome. But h- how do we as individuals help move this awareness and appropriate action forward? You know, how do we support you, Rebecca, and what you're doing? Um, and, you know, Marge, you, and you can answer this, you know, h- how do we move this thing forward? What do we need to be doing? We have to become ad, uh, advocates um, individually and collectively. We have to be advocates for more education, more research on this topic specific to athletic training. There is so much peer-reviewed literature out there on inequities in women in healthcare, women physicians. We don't have any of that in athletic training. Let's just take the salary survey. Yes. So inequity is greater than it was in the last salary survey. Well, we need to dig into that. We need to know why. What were the aspects of the, of the demographic that answered that? What were the dollar and cents figures? As Rebecca said, in different marginalized groups, there's a cent on the dollar value. We don't have that for athletic training. We haven't even scratched the surface. This is just the beginning. And that's why we need to take this on as individual athletic trainers as scholars in athletic training to really dedicate ourselves to research and to finding more collaboration with women in healthcare. If I'm in a physician clinic as a physician extender, as an athletic trainer, and I'm working side by side with a female physician, I know she has the same issues that I have. I know what she's making on the dollar is less than her male counterpart, just like me as an athletic trainer. So then I reach out to her and say, let's have a conversation about this, Dr. So-and-so. You know, we can collaborate on this. And that opens up the door, as we said, way beyond athletic training, because it's a universal problem. And commit ourselves to, um, to doing that. Marsh, I'm with you. I've got your back. <laughs> <laughs> I love that passion. That was awesome. That was, that was yeah, so I, good. If I could um, just add to that, I think. Marge, you made a really great point. I think being an advocate is huge, especially for you know the employers, the people making those decisions. And I think I just want to add something that came to my mind as I was hearing you talk, which is about implicit bias, right? We talk about implicit bias as it relates to race, ethnicity, religion, things like that. But there's also bias when it comes to gender, when it comes to women in the workplace. So I would I would encourage everyone to take the implicit bias test that's specific to women in the workplace. Because we might have an unconscious implicit bias and maybe we don't even realize it, right? So we can't be advocating if we're kind of taking the steps backwards in that regard. So I think I definitely agree with you that the need for more research and advocacy and then being aware of our biases and and maybe that's what's holding some people back from moving forward in this area. Yeah, great point. And we had talked about previous practice settings. So another point, you know, we need to know what the disparities are in individual practice settings because they might not be the same or they could be. And so we have a lot of work to do and we need a lot of people doing that work. Right. Let's work. 
Let's get after it. So Mars, what's next? Where are we going next? Can you give us a little bit of preview of of where to go with this? Absolutely, Murphy. We need to not just continue to have this conversation, but start this conversation in every place that every one of us is. We want to do two more podcasts. One of our guests will be Dr. Catherine Deck, past president of the AMSSM, who started this initiative in her society with um, having women in leadership lead. Um, she's a great advocate for women, for athletic trainers, and certainly for women. And then, um, you know, additional guests on our podcast. But we also want to try to reach out to the districts and states with a specific program in the future in 24 to really put this in front of athletic trainers statewide, regionally, and nationally to get this conversation going and awareness built. Awesome. Well, I don't know about you all, and I'm speaking to our listeners here, but this information. Uh, that was shared. Rebecca, thank you so much. Marge, thank you so much. Was so important, so needed, and and very helpful. Uh, and it should be helpful to all the, the athletic trainers that uh, are listening. But we also want to hear from those our listeners. We want to, we want some feedback. We want to know what you learned, what you thought about the information that was shared, because that feedback gives us information that as we continue to have this conversation, this compensation conversation, this DEI conversation, when it comes to the inequities, it helps us build and it gives us some energy to go and research more and, and, and help Rebecca and support Rebecca and, and the job that she's doing. So please feel free to share any of that feedback by emailing us and sharing what you think about the compensation conversation. Rebecca, thank you so much. Marge, thank you so very much. I appreciate you guys sharing your time, which is a compensation piece as well, because we can never get time back. Thank you again for your expertise, your energy, uh, your knowledge. And we will look forward to our next podcast with you, Marge. Um, so everyone, please take care and thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to Compensation Conversation, a special series of the NATA cast. All resources mentioned during this episode can be found in the show notes or at nata.org slash podcast. Listen, we want to hear from you. If you'd like to let us know what you thought or even what you want to hear in future episodes, send an email to the NATA cast at nata.org. And to make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the NATA cast and rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time.